Hi folks, welcome to the show. On this episode, we speak with Niraj Kashyap, founder of Moonstream. Moonstream provides game developers the toolkit to create economic infrastructure for Web3 games. Their contracts allow developers to assemble loot boxes, create crafting recipes, deploy mini games, and generate actionable data from on-chain mechanics. I hope you enjoy the show. Please note that this podcast does not constitute financial product advice. You should consider obtaining independent advice from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. Niraj, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for your time today. I'd love for you to tell me about your story, about how you came to crypto in general, and then we can come on to talk about Moonstream. Thanks. Yeah, uh, it's very nice to meet you, Jonathan. Um, to tell you a little bit more about myself, I started my life as a mathematician, um, you know, doing mathematical research. That's what I spent most of my younger days doing, uh, you know, teens and early 20s. Um, I was doing research in number theory. So when I was doing, when I say I was doing mathematics, I was, you know, working mostly with pen and paper and I had very little to do with technology uh, for a very long time. Around the time that I was finishing up my PhD in mathematics, I realized that I didn't really want to continue doing academic research, um, you know, that maybe a handful of people on the planet were sort of interested in or concerned about. My grandmother had a disease um, called progressive supranuclear palsy. Uh, it's a disease that's often mistaken for Parkinson's disease. It's also a neurodegenerative disease. You know, seeing what she went through, seeing what my mother went through taking care of her, I decided I wanted to build technology that could help, uh, you know, people in similar positions. And so after I finished my PhD over here in the States, I moved to Japan for a couple of years and I was doing research on these neurodegenerative diseases, uh, you know, designing algorithms that would help doctors to diagnose those diseases you know, earlier than they otherwise can or could. Um, and that's what got me into technology and that, that got me into AI and machine learning and so on. After a couple of years in Japan, you know, it's, it's hard to make a career, an academic career in Japan. And I didn't really want to. So I just moved to the, I said, you know, I thought, where do people value algorithms? And I said, Hey, I, they do in Silicon Valley. And so I just, you know, hopped on a plane and came to Silicon Valley and I've been working here ever since that was in around 2015. And, you know, I was working in. AI. I, I worked at Google on the TensorFlow team. I worked at a couple of startups as well. Um, and I got really interested in crypto in 2016. So I've always sort of been familiar with uh, crypto. Um, you know, the Bitcoin white paper made its rounds in the mathematical community pretty early on. So I, I've always sort of been familiar with it. I've always been sort of like, you know, able to work with it, uh, you know, for a very long time. But Ethereum is what really excited me because in 2015, 2016, uh, you know, Ethereum was being built as a world computer. The, the possibilities of a, of a blockchain on which you could actually run programs and the programs would have sort of this global shared state uh, that everybody agree, agreed on and the execution mm -hmm. of the programs would also be the subject of consensus. That was extremely exciting to me. Uh, and that's when I actually started building on the blockchain. You know, I... At some point, I re realized like I'd much rather be building this stuff than working a cushy job at Google or you know something like that. So I left. Uh, at first, I worked at a startup called DocAI. I led the blockchain team, um, and then mm -hmm. after the crash in 2018, they sort of veered away from the blockchain, and I did not want to veer away from the blockchain. So I left and I founded Moonstream. Um, so that that's my that's sort of how I got here. Wow. Yeah, that that's a great story. I I. I... 
I think um, it's in some respects, you know, a, kind of a story that I've I haven't necessarily heard before from from pure mathematics. And and that transition for you, I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about that. From you know, as you say, pen and paper to to software. How was that? Was that was that smooth, or, or were there challenges there for you personally? It was it was pretty smooth because although I had been doing a lot of you know I had been doing like very theoretical work for a long time. I'd always been sort of connected to technology. I play a lot of games, uh, not just computer games, but also like, you know, board games like chess and Go and Backgammon. Um, and being so interested in games, uh, you end up being familiar with also writing programs and stuff. Like that. So <laughs> yeah. it wasn't completely unfamiliar to me. It it felt very natural <laughs> to make the transition. Well, that's great. I, okay, so it's a perfect segue because, um, you know, Moonstream uh, is a... I mean, I think you should probably describe it, but tell me if this is wrong. Um, mm -hmm. From my understanding, you know, it, it's a service layer that allows people to um, essentially create games or bring on-chain mechanics from from blockchains into games. Tell me a little bit about where you, how did you arrive at this idea? And, and but perhaps before that, maybe you could do a better job of explaining it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. I, I'll, uh, Moonstream acts as the economic infrastructure for Web3 games. As soon as a game interacts with Web3, uh, you know, interacts with a blockchain, there's like, there's two things that they just cannot escape from. Okay, there's just two two things that they have to accept as soon as as soon as they in, as soon as someone integrates their game with a blockchain. The first thing is that the blockchain makes every game multiplayer uh, because the blockchain itself is accessible to anyone, right? So if any mm. aspect of your game is represented on the blockchain, then that's you know. That's the basis for basic for interaction between people that have nothing to do with like you know any particular game client you've built or, or any like sort of in-game interaction, right? Um, and so you can either embrace that and turn those interactions into part of your game, or you can try to deny it, which can be pretty damaging for your game in the first place. Mm. And the sort of corollary of that is that you know your economy, your game economy, is no longer just a game economy it becomes a real economy so if you represent you know any aspect of your game like items or consume health healing potions or like you know crafting any any aspect of those in, of your game if you represent it on the blockchain you suddenly have a real economy on your hands and this is a big deal because of how game designers think of game economies sort of you know before the blockchain um they you could you know the game economy is a place where you can go to like very to enforce like very strict control and balance inside your game, you can tweak parameters in your game economy quite freely in order to, in order to make the game more engaging and entertaining and like deeper for players. Mm -hmm. uh, once your game economy is a real economy, you can no longer do those things because every decision you make about the economy, someone's going to make money and someone's going to lose money. And often, uh, you know, if someone loses money, it can be like they can, you can, you know these can be pretty significant losses, and it it really influences like you know how they experience and how they enjoy your game. So these are two facts that people who build blockchain games cannot escape from, and but they're also facts that are hard for them to come to terms with because uh, it's generally hard to sort of work with the blockchain. And Moonstream provides game game projects with the infrastructure that they need in order to make these things easier, right? So like game designers need to 
sort of execute their monetary policies on chain. They, they might have like very good ideas for how to manage their economy, but they need to do that at some point. They need to sort of execute those ideas on chain and they mm. can use Moonstream's APIs and Moonstream smart contracts and our dashboards in order to make that possible. Um, and, you know, you we have different techniques involving like soft forms of control. Like, you know, we have on fully on-chain mini games that people can deploy into their games. And those really act as a way of, you know, of course, entertaining players, but also as a way of sort of gaining some sort of control over what's going on. Okay, so I'd love for you to tell me, I mean, perhaps the use of an example would be really good to, if there's a, if there's a kind of almost like a case study you could walk through, because I think that would be a really, you know, really engaging way for, for us to understand, you know, how people are using this service. Yeah, sure. Uh, so earlier this year, at the beginning of the year, actually, we ran like one of the most successful on-chain minigame events. Um, this was on the Polygon blockchain. There's a game called Crypto Unicorns on Polygon. They're they're actually our largest customer, they're, and uh, you know they've been working with us for some time. They use they use our APIs to you know manage leaderboards for their players for on-chain activity and to you know grant them rewards for stuff that they do on-chain or in the game and stuff like this. Uh, from January 28th to March 28th, we actually ran an on-chain minigame called Crypto Unicorns The Dark Forest. Uh, so in the game, you have these unicorns, right? And, they, uh, and uh, at that time, the game itself hadn't been released, although they had a very engaged player community. And they wanted to give the players something fun to do. And they had a few side goals as well, where they wanted to create, you know, in, in their game economy they have two currencies so it's it's uh, quite similar to a lot of like um you know axie like games where you have uh, they had a utility token uh, called unicorn milk and then they have like their governance token called the rainbow token um yeah and they wanted a way of releasing unicorn milk to their players um and so they said you know it would be fun to do this with a mini game you know do you guys have anything in in your mini game library that uh, that would make sense like you know to create an experience for our players with and so we had a couple of different minigame mechanics uh, that we thought would be fun. So the idea was, you know, that there was this forest in the kingdom of the crypto unicorns or in the land of the crypto unicorns and the crypto unicorns could go into that forest to explore it. And when they explored it, they would get unicorn milk as a result. Uh, and actually we created a, a few interesting like uh, ideas out of this as well, where like there was an altar inside the forest where they could sacrifice their unicorn milk for the chance of getting on a whitelist for like another NFT, the NFT for the antagonists in the crypto unicorns lore, which are the shadow coins. So, you know, this was sort of the concept. We we, we worked like it, it was something that just took like maybe three days or so to set up. Uh, they did a lot of work on the art. They had like some artwork existing already. And so we like, you know, we created this like uh, this experience uh, for the players and we we ran it from like January 28th to March 28th. I wasn't expecting, by the way, a lot of engagement with this mini game that we created, but overnight, you know, the value of the unicorn milk tokens that were assigned to this mini game sh uh, shot up to 40 million, basically. So <laughs> overnight, like, you know, the, the market cap, the market cap of unicorn milk, all of which was being distributed through the Moonstream mini game was worth $40 million. And these uh, shadow corn eggs, which which were the whitelist tokens to, to get the shadow corn NFTs when they when they minted, you know, the most expensive ones were worth like, you know, like almost 20 ether, right? And this was wow. in, in okay. like in February, right? So that that shows the power of, uh, of having like these sort of engaging experiences when you're managing a blockchain mm. economy, you know, utility doesn't just come 
from sort of DeFi use cases. And, you know, it's not like DeFi or hype or, you know, something like that. This was something where like there was actual game lore and there was actual meaning within the game world. Uh, there might not have been meaning outside of the game world, but there was meaning within the game world. And the players valued it highly enough that, uh, that you know, they actually created, like assigned, you know, that level of value. Like uh, I think the peak, uh, value locked into the into the mini game smart contract was almost a hundred million dollars, right? Uh, which came with its own headaches and which came with its own stress. But uh, but uh, that sort of shows the power of like you know using these kinds of mechanics and these kinds of experiences when you're managing a game economy. Because if you do it well, uh, it really creates value for the players, and then your your economy is rewarded for creating that value for players, right? Uh, um, because the players then like you know allocate more of their attention and more of their resources within your game as opposed to other ecosystems and um, and it just it just creates a very positive feedback loop which lasted actually in that case for a very long time that's a great example thanks I think that makes it a very uh, you know that a kind of tangible understanding of how you guys work with teams so really the the um, the projects that that come to you they're looking to leverage your experience but also kind of the out of the box, features that yeah. you have and, and so what what are some of those other features that you guys might have that people can people can kind of grab and, and deploy in their games you've mentioned mini games obviously but are there other things that you guys do oh leaderboards are also a very big thing um leaderboards are a fantastic way of driving engagement um mm. we found uh, leaderboard it's not, not leaderboards by themselves are not enough there need to be like rewards for you know players attaining like good positions on leaderboards. And so game projects can handle like that entire life cycle again through our platform where you can define the leaderboards and what the rewards are for different leaderboard positions and then automatically like allow players to claim their rewards uh, through, you know, through our through a smart contract that we have that allows players to claim rewards. Um, that entire loop is, is a very important loop in managing an economy because it allows you to basically incentivize economically healthy behaviors in your player base actually just to give you another example with crypto unicorns because they're, they're, they've been the most innovative in how they use our platform um, is this summer they ran an event called the summer of love and um, uh, they they basically wanted to get people to uh, to basically create more unicorns there's no hard cap on the total number of unicorns that can exist I mean uh, you know like basically you can just keep on keep on creating more and more unicorns and the point is that those unicorns have some utility in game and like you know it's it's not there's no artificial scarcity in that world so they wanted players to create more unicorns um and so they created a leaderboard where for each of the three months of the summer uh there was a different goal like in the first month you were supposed to create as many eggs so the unicorn sort of life cycle is that there's eggs and then there's babies and then there's adults and in each of the three months, you, your goal was to like, you know, meet certain goals about, you know, creating unicorns in that life cycle stage, like eggs or babies or adults. Yeah. And in those three months, the number of unicorns like mul multiplied by a factor of 2.5, right? It more than doubled the number of unicorns that existed in their game. And it created a really great sink for their in-game currencies when, you know, the rest of the market was not doing very well. So there were all these goals that it helped them to achieve. And it was very fun for the players. It gave the players a lot to talk about. Like, you know, it was, it was just engaging in every way and it created healthy economic activity in every way. So the leaderboards and rewards are a pretty big deal. Um, and then we run analytics, so anybody mm. can come to our app and they can, you know, just put a smart contract address in there and they can immediately start seeing how their users are interacting with, with those smart contracts. Or even if it's that not their smart contracts, they can see how people are interacting with the smart contracts that they entered and then use that for whatever purposes. 
Um, and then we also run security operations. So we write bots that basically protect our smart contracts and uh, you know deploy it into a game. So that that's something that our customers can also do. That's really that's that's a big that's a big suite of off that's a, that's a pretty strong offering I've got to say. Okay, let's zoom out a little bit then because I think that's a great overview of what you guys do and where you guys play. But I'd love your opinion now on especially given the fact that you know you have this you know deep personal connection to gaming. What, what's your view on gaming in general? There's been obviously a fair bit of debate about Web three gaming, um, and, and you know it's very early days for this, and I can assume that's why you've built a business for it. But tell me your view. I assume it's bullish, but I'd love some detail on what you think is going to happen over the next couple of years with with gaming uh, and Web three. It's a it's a very good question. Uh, I think maybe let me start out by saying what I think the state of Web three gaming is right now. Um, I think it's very, very, very early days for Web3 gaming right now. And to be honest, most Web3 games are still seeking the fun factor. Most Web3 games have not found the fun factor and they're looking for it. The The smart ones know that they, they need to find it. That's like their highest priority. Uh, but most Web3 games right now are not fun. Um, and it's generally difficult for a Web3 game, the way that Web3 games exist today, to be fun because the concept of money is so intricately, intricately like tied to sort of like gameplay that uh, invariably for the people who like want to play the game well, it becomes more of a job than like a, fun, a leisure, like, you know, e entertaining activity. So Web3 games have a long way to go. Uh, and in some sense, the, the bear market has, is very good for, um, is very good for Web3 gaming because before the crash, um, you know, almost every Web3 game that was being released was basically like a copy paste of Axie Infinity. Um, yeah. That's what people were funding. That's what players wanted to participate in, right? That like, even if you wanted to do something novel and different, you are almost doomed to fail if you didn't copy paste like the Axie white paper and like, you know, make some sort of an argument about how you're going to have a sustainable economy um, just because that's what the market wanted. Um, now, expectations are changing and the player bases are changing as well because the people who are playing Axie solely to earn money, uh, there's just not, because they were getting paid in crypto, right? Uh, or any play to earn game, uh, they were getting paid in crypto and that crypto just suddenly isn't worth as much anymore, right? It's probably lost like more than 90% of its value. And so you can no longer make a proper living by like by playing those same play to earn games. And so that part of the player base has just sort of gone away for a while. And the people who have remained are the ones who actually do want to have fun, who do want to enjoy the games that they're playing, um, you know, and not just earn money. And so that's giving game developers, like or Web three game developers, a lot more freedom to experiment with different game mechanics and different game ideas, and find actually gen genuinely uh, f try to find where the fun is. Um, so there's like quite a lot of interesting projects. Uh, that are coming up now that are actually like doing much more novel and original and interesting things than, you know, say six months ago or, you know, eight months ago. Um, so I, I feel, I feel very hopeful for the future of web three gaming. Um, it's going to look very different. And of course, you know, might sound like I'm disparaging Axie infinity, but I'm not, uh, those guys were trailblazers before Axie infinity existed. The, the potential of Web3 gaming just, you know, nobody even like really fully understood the potential, even began to fully understand the potential of Web3 gaming. And like a lot of great things have come out of the Axie community. For example, Yield Guild Games, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but it's like one of the, it's the first probably, or it's definitely the largest sort of decentralized 
guild of players. Uh, they focus on play to earn games. Uh, but you know, that's an organization that numbers, I think, in close, I think in the hundreds of thousands, if not, they're very close to having a hundred thousand members. And it's just amazing, like, you know, <laughs> what they're able to do as like a quite decentralized community um, and how much influence they have on Web3 gaming as a whole. And I would say all in all, quite a positive influence as well. So it's it's very interesting what's come out of mm. Axie. Uh, there's going to be a lot more interesting things coming out that look different now, uh, now that the market is so dumb. I, I would agree that there's certainly, you know, a bit of a, a kind of rethink <laughs> because play to earn, yeah. there was a lot of hype around that. I still think there's a lot of promise there for sure, but perhaps that be, that comes, as you say, from from the kind of delight side, um, you know, the demand for people to play and perhaps earn on the side is is, is going to be a function of people seeking out games for, for fun um, for, for the next wave at very least. Okay, well, let's flip this on its head. What do you think the biggest challenges are? And, and, and I guess as well, what are some of the challenges that, that you faced? Uh, well, let me tell you like what I think the biggest challenge is sort of in general, you know, that we face as an industry. Um, so the earning models are really, I think the earning models in blockchain games are just completely broken right now. Most blockchain games, I think, don't understand what they should be rewarding players for. Uh, very few of them at least do. And I think my my personal hypothesis, and so this this is some of this these are our challenges as well. So this is a bet that we're taking at Moonstream, and it's something that we're trying to like, uh, we're we're really trying hope to make a reality because this is where we see that like you know we would start to really realize the potential of Web three gaming, is that really Web three games are not about any particular game experience. If you look at most Web three gaming projects today. Uh, the way that they're structured is that there's you know one game developer, one company that's developing the game, and then they have a community of players that are playing the game, and then you know they might represent items and stuff on chain, and the players can own them, and they say, hey, you can have real ownership of these assets and and all of this kind of stuff. Um, I personally feel that that model is broken. I don't think that anything sustainable will come out of uh, out of this kind of a model, and I think really the the way to go, like the the future of this, is first of all realizing that. Um, the actual game experience, you know, at a given point in time is not what defines your Web3 game. What defines your Web3 game is the community of players that are built around that Web3 game and their expectations of the game and the game world and so on, right? The way to make a sustainable Web3 game, in our opinion, is that you should allow your players to build freely for each other. And not just, I'm not talking about writing programs, just writing programs. I mean, of course, you want people who are writing programs, but also people who are creating art and people who are creating music and people who are like, you know, creating just different kinds of content. And then you want to reward the players proportion. You want it, you want the, the community should reward the players proportionately to the amount of value that those players bring into the community. Right by creating the things that they create. So, for example, if I would if I were part of like some game world and I created a fun mini game for that game world, I would get a reward for doing so proportionately to the value that I created for the player community, either by them like you know paying money in order to play my mini game or through you know through some sort of governance tokens or some other way. I should get a proportionate reward, and that's the that's the way that Web three has a potential to be different than anything that has come before it, because people have been making, for example, mods for games for a very long time, right? Like if you look at uh, like Defense of the Ancients was a very popular Warcraft three mod, 
which turned into Dota 2 and League of Legends, which are the games that define like, you know, esports today, right? Uh, yeah. The people who created those, the people who created Defense of the Ancients uh, didn't really see any upside from really like a fantastic creation and like the tremendous amount of effort that they put into making it like, you know, making mobile games basically the powerhouse that they are today. Um, and there are a lot of creators who are who have really great ideas who are not able to like who aren't able to, you know, make those ideas a reality or really bring those ideas to the fore because the reward structures don't exist, right? The only people who really benefited from Dota existing were Blizzard, the people who made Warcraft 3, because more people bought Warcraft 3 so that they could play Dota, right? Uh, the people who actually made the game and the community for that game were not rewarded in the same way. And Web3 is, has, is a way of actually addressing that because... You can define incentive structures and uh, and reward structures that benefit creators. Uh, I think the biggest challenge for Web three gaming uh, is going to be actually you know making making that vision a reality. And our biggest challenge is like you know implementing the infrastructure on which those those kinds of community structures can can exist. Yeah, that's a great summary. I I think I think it'd be fantastic to just tied it all up by kind of narrowing in once more to your personal experience. And, and if you could um, tell me just, you know, what, what are the, the biggest learnings you, you've made throughout this, this last three or four years or even longer now, five, six years in the industry, what's, what's the number one thing that, that you've learned? The biggest thing that I've learned, and this is also related to my experience before I sort of, uh, you know, got into crypto, but it's something that I've, that has been really powerful in crypto is that, Web3 is not just about money and finance and things like that. The real power in Web3 is is the communities because Web3 allows us to create much stronger communities than ever existed before. Uh, to the extent that like, you know, we're not even talking about communities. We're talking about groups of people that have the same dynamics that countries do today and religions do today. Um, that's That's the kind of thing that we can build on Web3. Uh, the most meaningful relationships I've ever formed in my life were built around games. Uh, you know, I traveled the world uh, living with friends that I made playing Go or living with friends that I made playing Backgammon. Uh, when I first moved to Japan, I had a very good friend that I made playing Backgammon. And he gave me, you know, he gave me an email of a guy that made his living betting on horses in Hong Kong. And he said, if I were ever in trouble, you know, that guy would help me out. Like these are, these are really like, you know, some of the most meaningful relationships that I've ever formed in my life. And the only thing that we had connecting us together was like the enjoyment of, of these games. Uh, that's a very powerful thing. And the reason I'm excited about Web3, and I think the reason a lot of people should be excited about Web3 is that Web3 communities sort of, emphasize those kinds of relationships on and not relationships based on you know much more arbitrary things like the geographic place that you happen to be born or just you know some these arbitrary ideas that that don't really have much to do with like you know who you are as a person and and what you think and so on um the power just the power of like making it possible for people who have these shared ideas and shared vision uh to sort of collaborate with each other and work with each other in a very equitable fashion, uh, I don't think we've even begun to understand, like you know, how much value there is in that. Fascinating insight. Thanks for bringing your personal and and also professional views to to us today. It's been a it's been a pleasure uh, hearing hearing these, and and I, I'm sure our audience has, has felt the same. So uh, thanks once again for your time, Niraj, and, and and wishing you all the best with this project. It's a, it's obviously a very important piece 
uh, of the future of Web3 Gaming. So thanks once again. Thanks, thanks for having me on, Jonathan. Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice. And we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller, and this has been the Crypto Frontier.